I am Latasha Smith. And I am Stacy Lindsay. And we have a very special guest to share with you all tonight. I'm super excited. Um, I know Stacy is too to be able to sit down with this gentleman. He's a pioneer here in St. Louis. And I first learned about this gentleman simply by being a Dutchtown resident. He came here, brought this wonderful program to our community. Um, and just here recently, I started learning so much more about you. I, I knew of him as being in one component, the program that he brought to our community, but oh my God, it is an understatement to say that he has literally touched any program in St. Louis that has made a difference in the lives of many, especially when we talk about housing. Me personally, I participated in the St. Louis housing program when I was younger. Um, that's how I put myself through school. And I know that you served as their executive director for a while and you still serve on their board now. Um, so I'm gonna introduce Mr. Sal Martinez and then I'm gonna let our new superhero of Dutchtown. <laughs> I'm gonna let him introduce himself to you all. Thank you, Sal, for joining us this evening. How are you? I'm doing well, Latasha. It's good to be with you and Stacy. I'm Sal Martinez, the CEO of Employment Connection, and I'm really, really excited to be here. And my team and I are thrilled to be in the Dutchtown neighborhood. Thank you, thank you. So, Sal, to get started, um, like I said, you are new to me, but you are not new to St. Louis by any means. Give us a little background information on who you are and what brought you here to Dutchtown. Sure. Um, well, born and raised in South Central Los Angeles, uh, so I call the left coast my home, uh, at least my original home. Been in St. Louis now for over 30 years. Uh, graduated from Harris Stowe, then college, now university. Uh, and I really owe um, a lot of my uh, work um, to serve the St. Louis community to uh, former Mayor Freeman Bosley Jr., who was, of course, the first uh, African-American um, to be elected uh, mayor of the city of St. Louis, and uh, Dr. Henry Gibbons, the former uh, president of uh, Harris Stowe State University. Uh, so I, it's been my pleasure to be involved in the world of, uh, of community development uh, for, uh, again, almost 30 years. Uh, I have headed up uh, several community development corporations uh, serving uh, various parts of the city of St. Louis. So I've been heavily involved in the production of mixed income housing, providing home repair assistance for low moderate income homeowners, creating uh, programs to address uh, food insecurity for seniors, um, creating community uh, and neighborhood beautification uh, activities, uh, et cetera. Uh, and as you mentioned, uh, I was uh, first appointed to the St. Louis Housing Authority Board of Commissioners by former Mayor Clarence Harmon and then was reappointed multiple times by former Mayor Francis Slay. Uh, and then I uh, took a brief uh, break uh, from that uh, level of community service, but then was uh, approached by current Mayor Lida Krusen uh, and asked to come back uh, to serve on the board. So I've served as chairman of the Housing Authority now uh, as far as my combined tenure for about 15 years, which then allowed me to continue my community development work to serve those families who live in public housing or who are assisted by the Housing Authority 
through our Section 8 Housing Choice Voucher Program. Uh, and so through that work, uh, it uh, led me to uh, Employment Connection, who I had previously worked with uh, in partnership efforts. And so um, I was uh, appointed as uh, CEO here in November of 2018. So recently I um, celebrated my, my two-year anniversary. Uh, and it's been a pleasure uh, to be here uh, at Employment Connection, organization that's been serving the St. Louis community now for over four decades. Okay, so just for a little clarity, because the name of our podcast is Ms. Education, um, for multiple reasons, female hosts, we want to clear up any uh, misconceptions that may be out there. I, in the beginning, was confused. Um, I understand now, but we sometimes say cure violence, and then we sometimes say employment connection. So before we even get started, can you order those terms for us and then maybe help our guests understand what they both are? Sure. So Employment Connection and Cure Violence Global are two different organizations. Um, the city of St. Louis, uh, it's been about a year now, decided to uh, invest in the Cure Violence Global model uh, and to bring it to the city of St. Louis for it to be implemented. Uh, as part of that process, the city of St. Louis issued a request for proposals that Employment Connection responded to because we believe that our existing wraparound services could be integrated into the cure violence model for the benefit of those high-risk individuals mm -hmm. uh, that that program focuses on. And so in that regard, and just from a, um, I guess, a visual perspective, we would be considered the parent company of the two cure violence sites that we manage in the city of St. Louis, which are Wells Goodfellow, Hamilton Heights, and Dutchtown. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for clearing that up. So one more time, what is cure violence? Just at it on its own. And then why was Dutchtown selected, right? We know we're special, but why did they choose Dutchtown to be the second home for cure violence? Absolutely. So the cure violence program is focused on reducing gun violence uh, in the communities in which it is being implemented. Uh, and so part of the model is to um, work with high-risk individuals. Uh, these are individuals who are perhaps part of street cliques, individuals who are justice-involved, individuals who are known to carry firearms, individuals who are known to have shot individuals, perhaps been shot, um, and individuals that are uh, on a pathway of gun violence. Uh, either they've already committed a gun violence or they are living a lifestyle which would lead uh, to that. The, and so in that work with those high-risk clients, we're providing conflict mediation services, de-escalation services, uh, and we're connecting them to uh, services that they need to hopefully change their social norms. Uh, and so for some folks, sorry about that noise uh, in the background, um, but uh, for some folks, that means job training and placement. For some clients, that means providing them with mental and behavioral health counseling. For some high-risk individuals, that means providing them with eviction prevention uh, and or rapid rehousing services because we have to give them the opportunity to make different decisions, to change their lifestyles moving forward. So it's, again, it's about changing their social norms, 
giving them a, an access and opportunities uh, to live different lives, uh, impressing upon them the importance of life, raising their children, being in a position to contribute to their community, living. Uh, there's no honor in dying young. Uh, you want to, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, the importance of being in your child's lives, being, being with your family, being with your friends, things that a lot of people take for granted, but a lot of the individuals that we work with have a different mindset. And so we want to work hard to change that mindset uh, to keep them uh, as contributing members of the community. So is, Sal, is Dutchtown, our location for Cure Violence, is it similar um, as a target area to the Hamilton Heights Wells Goodfellow location? And, and there's a third location as well. Right, that's or, the Walnut Park uh, East Walnut and Park. West Cluster. Yeah, so do you find that we're similar or do you find that this is a, a slightly different target area for, for the program in St. Louis? Well, and thanks for the question. And Latasha, I, I neglected to answer the second part of your question. Why was Dutchtown one of the three areas that was selected? Um, so the reason why Dutchtown was selected uh, is because the Department of Health, in partnership with several city agencies, pulled data to show where, what neighborhoods over the past three years uh, had the highest incidence of gun violence. Uh, and not only individuals that were shot, not only homicides that resulted uh, from those shootings, but just shootings in general. Uh, and so Dutchtown uh, was one of the, um, the neighborhoods that was selected uh, for that reason. Um, I would say the demographics between Dutchtown and Wells Goodfellow, Hamilton Heights, are quite different. Um, from a racial standpoint, for example, Wells Goodfellow, Hamilton Heights is 99 plus percent African American. We know that Dutchtown uh, has more diversity as it relates to race. Um, Wells Goodfellow, Hamilton Heights is significantly low moderate income. There's a fairly low percentage of home ownership uh, that exists in that geography. We know that there are more homeowners uh, in Dutchtown. Uh, Wells Goodfellow Hamilton Heights has an emerging business district uh, in Martin Luther King Boulevard, uh, but we know that Merrimack and other stretches of the Dutchtown uh, geography uh, are a lot more advanced uh, than that. But one thing that they both have in common, unfortunately, uh, as we um, implement this program, they both suffer from a high degree of gun violence. Uh, they both have unfortunately lost many of their residents uh, to gun violence. And so that is one of the things that brings the two neighborhoods together. Wow. When, you know, um, go ahead, Stacey. Yeah, I, I'm just, when a lot of people think of gun violence, we think of gang activity, right? Especially people who are not necessarily like super close to it personally. Mm -hmm. Is is this what you're seeing gun violence wise in, in Dutchtown? Well, it's a variety of, of things. Uh, certainly individuals who are involved in street cliques or gangs as, as some people uh, would call them, certainly that contributes uh, to the gun violence. Uh, certainly the um, illegal drug trade 
uh, contributes to it. Some of those individuals, however, may not be a part of organized uh, street organizations. Uh, in a case like today's tragedy, uh, that appears to be uh, as a result of a domestic uh, situation. Uh, and so we find that as the team uh, uncovers uh, what has caused uh, shootings uh, in the neighborhoods where we're involved, um, that it's caused by different things. Sometimes it's caused by uh, what some would consider a simple disagreement. Uh, between two individuals. Uh, it could be that uh, they were, for example, we've seen uh, shootings that maybe um, were as a result of playing sports or maybe uh, a, a, a game of craps or maybe uh, two individuals passed each other on the sidewalk and one person didn't like the way that the other person looked at them or, or greeted them. And so... In, in the past, what maybe would have uh, come from that was maybe an argument or maybe a fist fight. Um, now, unfortunately, as a result of those disagreements, firearms uh, are then brandished. Uh, and then uh, oftentimes, once they're brandished or, or flourished, uh, they are then used. So again, the social norms uh, have changed uh, yeah. for many of the individuals uh, in our community. I, I can remember, I'm, I'm old enough to say this now, uh, but I can remember a day when I would have a disagreement with someone in my neighborhood and maybe we would have a fist fight. Yeah. And then 24 to 48 hours, we were friends again because that conflict was addressed uh, through us, you know, putting up our dukes as the, as the uh, more seasoned individuals uh, like myself would say. But a lot of these individuals, they don't resolve conflict in that way. And so what could begin as a simple issue now becomes a very violent situation where far too often someone loses their life. And then that then sets the uh, stage uh, for an ongoing feud uh, because oftentimes someone retaliates uh, and then it can set up a chain of events uh, that becomes very hard to interrupt. And that is part of what we're here to do. We want to interrupt that violence where we know that there are conflicts in the community. Our team wants to get in there and change, mediate, de-escalate, and hopefully uh, help to bring peace uh, and show individuals that things don't have to result um, where someone has lost their lives. And this is certainly not a pattern that needs to continue. Yeah, you know, um, as an educator, a lot of what you said, I, I work in a predominantly Black school district, so a lot of what you've described, you know, we, we talked about the cycle of violence. We talked about um, failure to be able to communicate properly in order to solve a dispute. I see that in, in the schoolhouse all the time. Um, you, you talked about wraparound services. And many of our schools serving kids that look like you and I, we don't have wraparound services. So we don't have the privilege to give them those opportunities that you spoke about, right? If there was better education, if there were better um, job training, uh, if people made enough money, then maybe that could help us to treat the symptoms versus the behavior, which is what you all are now charged with doing. So that being said, can, can you 
explain the cycle of violence. Um, you said yourself, you've been doing it. I remember my uncles duking it out on, on the streets, right? I remember seeing that if there was a, a disagreement. We did not, they did not rely on gun violence, but now that seems to be a cycle, right? There, there is no talking, I'm just gonna shoot you so that my family and your family both are affected. So explain the cycle of violence and then how can the cure violence model directly address that? Well, you know, the, the culture has changed um, in our country and in our communities uh, as it relates to, to guns. Certainly there is an oversaturation of guns um, on our streets. Uh, many of them have been obtained uh, illegally. And the just the, the thought process of what it means to carry a firearm is just a lot different uh, than it used to be. Uh, and so that would be, you know, there's just been a, 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 a cultural shift in the, in the mindset. So, you know, again, our, our job is to um, explain to the high-risk individuals that we're working with that this need not be your lifestyle uh, your entire life. Uh, a lot of the young adults that we're working with in the program, they inherited this mindset and were um, taught this mindset uh, from their parents or their siblings or other uh, individuals of influence uh, in their families or, or in their communities. The other reality is, is that um, we are working with high-risk uh, individuals who unfortunately uh, come from backgrounds where maybe the neighborhoods have been through decades of neglect and disinvestment. And so a lot of these individuals have, their reality is seeing vacant buildings and vacant lots and hearing gunshots and they're living in food deserts and they don't have access to some of the things that you just mentioned, Latasha. They may not have access to a quality education. They may not have had access to quality health care. And so all of these things negatively impact an individual's mindset unless there is some type of intervention uh, that could lead to more positive exposure or, um, and, and that's a big part of it as well. And that becomes your reality. You almost go through life with blinders and don't realize that there are other lifestyles, that there are other opportunities uh, available to you. And so a lot of this work, again, is, is focused on changing those social norms. This does not have to be how your life ends up. You do not have to end up in a casket or uh, in a penitentiary serving a life sentence. Uh, and so it's been amazing as we have implemented this model to meet some of these individuals and just hear their perspectives on life. And yeah. so that lets you know uh, what we're up against. Uh, and that's why it's so important for our teams to build deep, lasting, incredible relationships with the high-risk clients that we're working with. They, in effect, are becoming mentors. They're becoming advocates. They're becoming champions, cheerleaders, et cetera, because they want to save these individuals and they want to bring peace to the community. So it's breaking that cycle Yes. Uh, and treating, you know, the cure violence model treats gun violence uh, as an epidemic. And the, the irony that we're implementing this program during the COVID-19 uh, epidemic is, is certainly not lost on me. But you have to interrupt 
this gun violence before it spreads. Uh, just like any illness, if you don't nip it in the bud or if you don't stop it at some point, it will spread and then the whole community will be infected. And mm -hmm. so what we're trying to do with this program is to change the, the mindsets of those individuals who are, are have embraced these lifestyles uh, so that, that we can reduce gun violence, we can give them an opportunity to live different lives, and then we can also interrupt the path that others are taking before they, too, embrace this lifestyle. So we want to connect them to the resources that they need um, and provide them with whatever that support is that they that that they want that they that they ask for uh, that they're crying out for, uh, so that we can improve the community for everyone, not just them, but their families, their neighbors, the mm -hmm. other stakeholders in the community. I think that one of the one of the reasons why you know, we're excited about Cure Violence being in Dutchtown and that Employment Connection is the facilitator of bringing the program to Dutchtown and concentrating on Dutchtown as a target area is because Employment Connection has been around as a, a nonprofit that provides so many of these essential services that are stabilizing for people who are at risk um, or, you know, actively involved in looking for a way out. Can you tell us just a little bit more about Employment Connection, the services it provides, um, and how Employment Connection's facilitation of the Cure Violence Program is really a key component to being successful with this program? Sure. Uh, so some of the services that we provide, of course, our bread and butter is job training and placement. Uh, we provide soft skills training uh, for our clients. We prepare them uh, to enter the workforce. Uh, and our end game is to put our clients in a position where they can be self-sufficient. They can support themselves. They can support uh, their, their family members. Um, and so with that being the end game, we also provide a number of supportive services uh, to assist them along their journey. Uh, and so that includes uh, mental and behavioral counseling. That includes the housing assistance we provide, uh, be it eviction prevention assistance being uh, rental assistance, utility assistance, mortgage assistance. Obviously, it's hard for us to put someone into the world of employment if they don't have a place to lay their heads at night. Uh, it's hard to um, put a, uh, an individual in a position of employment if, unfortunately, they're currently unhoused. So a lot of our clients are in desperate need uh, of housing assistance as they try to uh, enter the workforce. Uh, for some of our clients, they need assistance with clothing. They need assistance with transportation. They need access to food. Um, during the COVID-19 pandemic, we find that a lot of our clients ask us for PPE uh, supplies uh, and materials for both themselves uh, and their families. So we try to be as much of a one-stop shop um, for our clients as we can be, um, because if they work up the faith, if they work up the the, the gumption, the belief uh, to reach out to us, either by walking in our doors or uh, visiting our website or giving us a call. The last thing we want to do is, is turn them around and say, you have to go to eight to 10 other places. Uh, yeah. And we certainly partner with a number of organizations in the community, but that can let a lot of individuals down if, they, if they're told that, well, this is just the beginning uh, of your journey. Uh, and so... 
we uh, we really pride ourselves on providing those wraparound services. We're always expanding uh, the services uh, and assistance that we provide for our clients because we never know what the need might be. And so um, we've been able to pivot during this this pandemic. That's a word I'm so tired of using. Uh, I, 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 it, it will be eliminated from my uh, vocabulary once we uh, get on the other side of this uh, this pandemic. But you know, again, as a service provider, um, we are committed to providing whatever we can uh, for the benefit of our clients. And so these wraparound services, again, uh, are made available to the high-risk clients that we're working with through the Cure Violence Program. Uh, and we're in the process now of documenting uh, some of those wraparound services that the uh, high-risk clients uh, have benefited from and how we are already um, putting individuals in a position to change their lives. So we're very excited uh, to um, be uh, on the threshold of, of sharing some of those success stories with the community. Yes, oh my goodness, that, I think people probably thought that you guys were only here to help in situations that contain some sort of violence. So thank you for, again, outlining or just laying out for them that they can come to you guys for rental, housing, food, transportation, pretty much any, any need that you might have come to us at Cure Violence, and if we don't have it, then we surely know who to put you in in contact with. So thank you for that. So outside of those basic needs that we have, right, if I do have a situation um, and I want to activate Cure Violence, how do I get in touch with your team? How do I notify them um, that there may be something going on? Sure. Well, certainly an individual can can call us. Uh, our main number is area code uh, 314-333-5627. Uh, they can certainly uh, email us and I can provide you uh, with that information. Our offices are located at 3207 Merrimack. So we welcome individuals to visit uh, the office uh, in person uh, if they would like. Uh, and so we we want to engage with every member of the community that is interested in this work. Um, we have a team of committed interrupters and outreach workers uh, available. Uh, and so in whatever way the community wants to engage with us, we're, we're happy to receive them and, and truly appreciate the partnership. This program will, this model will only be successful if it is fully embraced by all members of the community. Uh, we are here as a tool to reduce gun violence in the community, but obviously we can't be everywhere uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, and so there are many ways that the community can get involved with this work uh, in a very safe fashion. We're certainly not looking to put anybody in danger. Um, that's what our team uh, is there for. But there's a part um, that uh, individuals can play uh, that would lead to the uh, successful implementation of this model. So in a, in addition to the 
community and neighbors identifying some maybe at-risk individuals or households that they they know may be in some volatile situations how how is the street team identifying going about identifying other opportunities for violent intervention in addition to maybe neighbors reaching out and and asking for help sure so the the team is out every day uh, in the community um, they're distributing pub ed uh, as we call it uh, they're engaging individuals who they encounter whether they believe they're high risk or not part of this work involves building relationships with all members uh, of the community and certainly we receive phone calls and and, and emails from stakeholders uh, in the neighborhood and we certainly keep uh, that information confidential uh, and I think that's a that's a key component uh, of this uh, program again we're not trying to put anybody in danger um, and you know as much as an individual is willing to share about their thoughts their beliefs uh, what they've seen uh, you know we will certainly welcome uh, that information um, and so that's that that's one of the the great tenets of this program is that it is really a grassroots uh, model uh, it is about when when we hired all these individuals, we told them that this is not a desk job. Uh, you won't have the benefit of sitting in the office in the cool air in the summer or uh, enjoying the heat uh, in the winter uh, inside the office. Certainly there's a physical location available to them, as I mentioned uh, on Merrimack, for them to uh, input the data uh, that uh, they are collecting. Cure Violence Global has a rather sophisticated database uh, that the team is expected to enter information into on, on a daily basis. Um, but 80% of their time is out in the community. So they are walking the various blocks. They are visiting uh, convenience stores, restaurants, uh, churches, uh, businesses, et cetera, because their job is to make those connections uh, in the community. And, and just for clarification, Sal, does cure violence focus on all types of violent crimes or is it more specific in its targeting? It is focused on gun violence. Gun violence, okay. And so if there is a situation, however, that could potentially lead to gun violence, uh, then certainly the team will investigate that and try to uh, prevent uh, retaliation but the primary focus is reducing and preventing gun violence. Okay. Does domestic violence fit into that? So it certainly could uh, because of the possibility uh, of retaliation. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's why all of these situations have to be investigated. Uh, and when I say investigate, I don't mean from a law enforcement perspective. Uh, one of the things that's very important to note about the cure violence model is that we do not work with the police department. And that is done intentionally. Uh, our team members are not here to be informants. They're not here to share information with the police department. The police department does its job and we do our job, but we are not here to uh, disclose information about what our high risk clients may be doing with the police department uh, because we want to again build those lasting credible relationships and we don't want to do anything to jeopardize those relationships or to put our staff or those high-risk clients uh, in jeopardy uh, and where they could be put in 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 dangerous situations so that's a very key 
component to this program as well that um, I, I definitely wanted um, everyone to understand. Yeah, that's. I think that's a, a big part um, that also makes it work and builds that builds that trust. And, and we've had the pleasure of speaking to several people um, in the organization that are assigned to the the Dutch Town location, and you know they certainly stated that their goal is to intervene and prevent you know, further violence from happening so that the police don't have to be involved. So a measure of success for the program is, you know, less police intervention because it doesn't get that far. It doesn't get that heated. How how can we as, as Dutch townies best support Cure Violence and Employment Connection? Well, certainly we're always looking for volunteers. Uh, and we know that uh, volunteerism doesn't exactly look like it used to. Uh, before the uh, COVID-19 era uh, arrived. Uh, but, um, you know, we are still hosting uh, events, both in person uh, and virtually, uh, for individuals that are active on social media. Uh, they can help us to promote uh, these events, uh, for example, uh, as we move into the spring, uh, as we hold additional um, public or, you know, in-person events. We'll be doing things like neighborhood cleanups and, uh, and, and other activities. So we would certainly welcome individuals who uh, want to join the team and, and other volunteers uh, in that work. Um, and so, yeah, that, that immediately uh, comes to mind. If, if anyone wants to uh, make any in-kind donations, uh, we've had individuals that uh, that produce uh, handmade uh, PPE masks uh, to donate those uh, to uh, us. And so we then, you know, in turn distribute those in the community. Uh, and so we're always looking for, for in-kind uh, support that we can uh, turn right around and, and, and give to the people uh, who truly need it. Uh, and so those are just a couple of things that, uh, that come to mind. Um, if they always welcome for new ideas for events uh, and, and opportunities uh, to uh, increase our, our community engagement. Uh, and so, yeah, so we, we welcome ideas. We welcome uh, individuals to showcase their, their talent, whatever that might be. Uh, so I think there are a number of ways, and I think we'll, we'll uncover more ways uh, for folks to get uh, involved with the program moving forward. Yeah. I think that's important. We were talking about that yesterday. And in order to make anything work, there are many parts. And the biggest part of that is the volunteer piece, all of us contributing and helping out. So um, we have a signature question that we ask all of our guests. And so your signature question today is, what is the biggest misperception of cure violence that you can clear up for us? I think right now the biggest misconception is that it's a citywide program. Mm -hmm. uh, it has been deployed in three neighborhood clusters to start off with. And so as we all uh, struggle with the fact that gun violence is a huge issue in the city of St. Louis that must be addressed, we cannot look at the evaluation of the cure violence model uh, through a citywide lens. Um, we need to 
make clear to individuals, again, that it's being implemented in Dutchtown. It's being implemented in the Wells Goodfellow Hamilton Heights geography and in the Walnut Park uh, East and West geography. And so I do get a lot of questions about violent crime in other neighborhoods as it relates to cure violence. And I have to remind uh, members of the media uh, and the community, again, unless you're talking about those three geographies, uh, your, your question uh, is not appropriate. Sal, this has been so great to be able to catch up and really get an overview because this is a new program for, for Dutchtown and in the middle of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure rollout has not looked like what it would look like outside of a major, you know, health crisis. <laughs> right. Um, where should people go to learn more about Cure Violence and Dutchtown and to keep up with all of those programs and events that are forthcoming? Sure. Well, uh, individuals can visit our website uh, at www.employmentstl.org. Uh, they can also visit us uh, on Facebook. Uh, we do have a page there. We're also active on Twitter uh, and Instagram. Uh, and they can always uh, contact us uh, if we, uh, if individuals don't have access uh, to the internet or are not comfortable using technology, we certainly have no issue uh, mailing uh, information uh, or in having members of the team to hand deliver uh, that, that information uh, to them. Uh, and so, um, and individuals do not need an appointment uh, to visit uh, our offices, our headquarters is at 2838 Market Street. Uh, and so we're open Monday through Friday from, from 8 to 5. Uh, we've never closed our doors during the uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And as long as I'm CEO, we never will uh, close our doors. Uh, and so we are here as an essential uh, service providing agency. Uh, and we we live by that, uh, that creed. Uh, and so we welcome uh, anyone to contact us, visit us, um, check out our website, our social media pages to learn more about our work and uh, how they could possibly become involved with it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on with us. One last thing. You said something. You've actually stated this several times throughout our conversation today. And I think that this is um, something that is worthy of its own podcast segment. Um, you refer to gun violence as an epidemic, right? I know that often in Black communities, we're underfunded. We don't have lots of home ownership. We don't have the best schools. In fact, schools are being closed down. Right. Um, but what we do have a lot of is drugs, access to guns, and often things that are detrimental to us don't get a lot of attention until it reaches other communities. I hope that gun violence never reaches other communities. So tell me in your mind, as I think you're half Hispanic, half African-American, if I'm correct, and, and please fix that for me if I'm not. You're, you're correct. <laughs> Why is the idea of gun violence being a pandemic so serious to young Black men here in St. Louis? 
Well, I think in many cases, because they have been uh, disenfranchised, uh, the communities where they have grown up uh, have been through decades uh, of, uh, of benign neglect, uh, that the services that um, individuals need to be productive and successful members of society were not made available. And so in many cases, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, if you deny an individual uh, the opportunity and at the risk of sounding corny uh, to achieve the American dream, then what you have done is to create an opportunity for someone to essentially live the American nightmare, which is a life of crime, which is a life of poverty, which is a life of uh, continued disinvestment. Uh, and so part of our work as a service provider is to change that landscape. Again, it's about exposure. It's about educating individuals that there are opportunities for them to be successful. Uh, historically, at Employment Connection, about 50% of our clients are justice involved, meaning that they've made a mistake or two in the past and have spent time uh, in incarceration. And so a major part of our work is to help welcome them back to the community and to let them know, despite the barrier that they have uh, added to barriers that they were already dealing with, now as someone who has a criminal record, despite that, there are still opportunities for you to be successful. There are still opportunities for you to contribute to the community in a positive way. One of the things that we talk to our formerly um, justice-involved clients uh, is that it costs the taxpayers, uh, the state of Missouri, over $30,000 a year to incarcerate uh, an individual. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't it be much better for you to contribute to the economy and help it cycle through the community than to cost the taxpayers? And not only are you costing the taxpayers, but more importantly, think of the impact that that's having on your community mm -hmm. and your family. If you're a parent, your children are growing up without their parent, which then continues that cycle. A lot of these households that you're mentioning are single parent head of households. And in many cases, the father is either incarcerated or dead because of a lifestyle choice uh, that he or she uh, was involved with. And so long answer to a short question, but that's why changing social norms is a major part of this program. People have to see that they have choices, real choices mm -hmm. as well. Because it's one thing to advise an individual that you need to do something different. Some people would say that's called preaching to individuals. But then it's another thing to say, I'm telling you this, but now I'm going to show you that what I'm saying to you is realistic. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had an opportunity to go out with the Wells Goodfellow Hamilton Heights team uh, right before Christmas as we distributed toys uh, to people in the community and uh, to the families of the high-risk clients that we're working with. And I encountered several individuals who are openly carrying firearms, like we might carry notebooks or like we might carry cell phones. Uh, so, and I'm talking AR-15s, I'm talking AK-47s, I'm talking nine millimeter blocks. And, but yet, several of those individuals, once the team members explained to them who I was, 
And it took several of them to hear it a couple of times that I was actually the CEO of, of an organization that had hired these individuals. And that's the other key part. Many of our cure violence employees are formerly justice involved themselves. And we hired them intentionally. We're already an equal opportunity employer, but we wanted to hire individuals who had the same lived experiences as the high-risk clients that we're working with. Several of our cure violence employees have been shot, for example. And so I have seen them in the community, a couple of them in particular, they will show their wounds and they will say, I've lived this life that, that, that you're involved with and there's no honor in trying to recover and live with these wounds. Several, several of the cure violence staff have health conditions as a result of being shot. And so this is the messaging that they are sharing. And they will say, I didn't think that I would be hired by an organization to do this work. Well, now I'm in a position where I'm making a competitive wage. I have health insurance. I have dental insurance. I have vision insurance. I have disability insurance. But this organization gave me an opportunity. And you can have and benefit from the same opportunity that I have, that I've taken advantage of. So again, that's part of the credibility uh, that our staff uh, has as they do this work. And it's very important for the community to see themselves in the interrupters and the outreach workers that are doing this work. So again, it's about credibility. It's about being able to meet people where they are and connecting them to the resources that they need to move forward in their lives. It certainly feels like with now that cure violence is, has come to Dutchtown, the early interactions that we've had with your team and your team's been incredible and inspiring. Um, and the work that we're already doing as a community, there's a lot of community building that's been going on here. And I think it's, it's only been heightened in the last couple of years even. Um, it feels like a new day in Dutchtown, but it really feels like uh, until now, having cure violence here, like that has been a big missing puzzle piece. So I, I have a lot of hope and I have a lot of hope for our individuals who live here among us that maybe have a past, but they want a future. And to to know that you know, you not you are not who you used to be, you know, yeah. and the community can support you in Absolutely. helping become who you want to be. You know, change mindset, change your life. Yeah, Absolutely. We're, we're not here to judge anyone. None yeah. of us are perfect, and we all make mistakes. Uh, it's just that in some cases, people have to pay their debt to society for the mistakes that they made. Uh, but once they have paid that debt, uh, we owe it to them to put them in a position to do something different with their lives moving forward. And I must say that we have been embraced by the Dutchtown community, uh, working with organizations like Thomas Dunn Learning Center and uh, Dutchtown South CDC and, uh, you know, many of the other groups and residents uh, like you, Stacey, and, and Latasha. It's been fantastic. Uh, and so it's made the team feel like they're not on an island by themselves mm -hmm. doing this work. They have community partners that they can work with, that they can lean on, uh, that they can confide in, 
And that's very, very important. And, and it's why uh, we wanted to do the best we could to hire people who live in Dutchtown uh, mm -hmm. to do this work. Uh, and again, several of these individuals are formerly justice involved. So now this gives them an opportunity to give back, to make things right, to improve things uh, in the community. Um, I was on a call yesterday with uh, individuals from uh, Gene Slade Boys and Girls Club, which is soon to open up a new rec center yep. in Dutchtown. And so we've already formed an alliance with them, and we're talking about working with at-risk youth uh, that we hopefully can prevent from having to join the caseload of cure violence uh, in Dutchtown. So let's stop that pipeline. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, where the, unfortunately, you know, elementary school kids are, they're impacted by violence like everybody else. And they're mm -hmm. at, an, at an age where they're very impressionable and no child uh, should live in that type of environment. So we will support that work. Um, the Incarnate Word Foundation is a part of that group. Uh, as well. And so it's it's really an exciting time to be in Dutchtown. It's a neighborhood that is uh, continuing uh, to make positive change. And so we're just excited to be a part of the wonderful momentum uh, that's been built uh, in the neighborhood. And, and we are so happy to have you all here. And outside of all of the services that I've heard you mention tonight, Hearing that you guys are going to be partnering with the Boys and Girls Club to help at-risk youth, that warms my heart. Mm. Because as Dutchtown shifts and as Dutchtown grows, I don't want to see the traditional gentrification happen. Let's help the families that are always he already here. We owe it to them. So I agree. I agree. And I, I did want to mention that uh, we have received additional funding uh, to continue our senior services program. I know we have signed up a few seniors in Dutchtown. That program provides free grass mowing, snow removal, and exterior hauling services uh, for seniors in the community because I truly believe that they need to benefit first uh, from the revitalization that is happening because many of them could have left the neighborhood, could have left mm -hmm. the city uh, and relocated. And, and, and I'm not here to blame them, if they had made that choice, but they chose to stay and continue to support the community, support the local businesses, worship at the local churches, et cetera. And so that's why we worked hard to bring that program and, and made sure that Dutchtown seniors were eligible to participate. And we plan to grow that program. Uh, we have some other ideas about creating some new employment opportunities uh, for Dutchtown residents. Because uh, it, it's it's all about access, it's all about exposure, um, and that's what we want to uh, add to the uh, already wonderful things that are happening, uh, you know, in the in the neighborhood. We are we're an instrument to be used by the community, uh, and so whatever ideas individuals may have about other services, other needs, uh, we're we're happy to field uh, those calls, and and it helps us generate and identify resources to support the work. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a whole lot easier to go to a foundation or to a funder with a request from the community. Uh, and we can show that we have survey data or individuals that have uh, provided testimony uh, that these are gaps uh, in the services that are needed in the community. So we need the community to be at the table. We, we need to, to have that voice. 
Um, and at the end of the day, as a service provider, we're here to take direction uh, from the community. We want to make sure that our services can positively impact um, what's happening in the neighborhood. Well, Sal, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for coming on and having this conversation with us. Um, but we also want to thank you for coming to Dutchtown, right? Bring cure violence to Dutchtown. And believing in us enough to know that you being here working with us can bring about change. And that's important to all of us because this is my forever home, at least one of them. So I am committed to doing my part to making my community stronger and better for all of us. Well, God bless you for that. It's been a pleasure to work with you. Your, your commitment uh, to the neighborhood uh, is really inspiring. Uh, and, and same with you, Stacy and, and Nate. Um, I, I have not worked in a neighborhood that has as many dedicated and passionate stakeholders um, as Dutchtown has. So your neighbors uh, are very lucky uh, to have you uh, to be so committed uh, to its betterment. Uh, that, that, that really speaks uh, a lot about uh, both of you and, and your, your members of your family uh, because it, it takes a lot of dedication uh, to do this work. You all have other responsibilities uh, professionally and, and other obligations to your, your family and friends, but to know that you take the time to invest in your community uh, is really a model that needs to be replicated in other neighborhoods. Uh, and so there'll be a lot of case studies uh, done <laughs> on Dutchtown. I'm sure there've been a lot of case studies that have happened, but I think this is a historic time in the neighborhoods uh, revitalization and redevelopment. And I know for sure uh, that there will be a lot of lessons learned that can hopefully be passed on uh, to other city neighborhoods so that they can um, generate the type of excitement and, and, and hope uh, and, and, and realize the accomplishments uh, that the Dutchtown neighborhood uh, has made. So kudos to all of you uh, and to your, uh, your partners in this work. Well, thank you, Sal. There's a lot of love here, and we're so glad <laughs> to welcome <laughs> Employment Connection and Cure Violence to the Dutchtown neighborhood. And I think a lot of people are going to find a lot of value listening to what you've been able to share with us tonight. Well, it's my pleasure. I appreciate the, the opportunity to spend time with both of you this evening.